Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, welcome back to Walking with Freya. Now, if you have done what I have asked several times and subscribe to this podcast, then your phone dinged you and let you know that this podcast is out this episode. And you might be confused for a moment. Why is this episode coming out on Monday? Is it Wednesday? Because I know this comes out on Wednesday, but it's Monday, right? Well, yes, it is Monday. And the reason I'm coming out today is because tomorrow is November 6th, the day you need to go vote unless you have an absentee ballot, and then you should have done it by now. But I'm putting this episode out a few days early because the end of the episode, we have a great conversation about why we should vote, why it is important for parents of children with special needs to vote. So I'm putting this out early. This is my call to action. This is my call to know your representatives Speak with your representatives, know what they stand for, know who you're voting for, and take the action and get out and vote. It is crucial. It is so important for so many reasons. If for no other reason than to know who is going to be supporting what your children need. So that's why this is coming out early. And I have to pick my kids up from school in 20 minutes, so (laughs) we could do this. Um... So a few things before uh, I get into the introduction for the interview. I just want to say that uh, this past weekend, I had my first book release for my novel, The Orchard's Descendant, and it was fantastic. And I have such a loving, supportive community of friends, and I'm grateful for all of them. And if you want to check that book out, you can find it um, on Amazon or on Kindle, you can also email me and I will, um, I can send you a signed copy if that's what you want. So, uh, and then you can pay through PayPal or whatever. So just, um, yeah, so it's out there. And, uh, if you want to check it out. Also, I want to say about this interview, the woman that I spoke with Jamila Bashir, she is an educator in the special needs world and an IEP coach. She works full time every day and, I was so grateful to have some time with her, uh, to, to speak with her. Um, it was in the evening when, for whatever reason, my internet connection here in Humboldt was overloaded by everybody that was home from work. I don't know, but, uh, so there's a couple spots where it's a little wonky, but it's, you can hear, you can understand everything that's said and just gets a little every now and then, but it's totally fine. And let's see. Okay. Slow down. I'm talking fast. I'm like, school's calling. Okay. 
But I really want this out there. I'm so excited about this interview. She is such an educated woman and had such great advice. And it's IEP season for some of us. Uh, I know it is for me. Um, Freya's IEP is coming up in a couple weeks. So it was great to, to do this talk with her. She is, she also is an author. And this is another one of the things. I ordered her book today. I'm really excited to get it. And I'm going to read it. And then I'm going to give it to my oldest daughter to read. Because it is uh, about Jamila's experience as a sibling of a sister with an intellectual disability. And what it was like growing up. And the frustrations and the embarrassment and the struggles. But also the blessings and uh, what her sister means to her and how she got her into the world of special needs education. So I got the book and I will be talking more about it after I get it and read it. We can talk more about it. Um, so this is just a great interview and I'm going to read her bio. So her bio is Jamila Bashir is a native of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In 2006, she earned her bachelor's degree in special education from Widener University. Deciding to continue her education, she earned two master's degrees, one in education in 2009 and the second in educational leadership in 2017 from St. Joseph's University. She has taught for over 10 years in Pennsylvania and the Philadelphia and Montgomery counties. Jamila has received a multitude of awards and recognition for her work and continued commitment to ensuring that all children meet their education potential. And then she... In parentheses in my email says, outside of this, I am a scout leader working on a nonprofit, which is the same name as her book because of her. She's creating an online course and does educational counseling. And that's actually how I got clued into her. I saw her on Instagram and I saw that she does IEP coaching. And uh, so I thought, what a fantastic person to have on. And then I learned about her book and more about her and and just had a great conversation with her. So yeah, check this out. And if you haven't voted, if you weren't planning on voting, then hopefully this will inspire you to figure out how to get out to the polls tomorrow. I know it's definitely harder for some. If you have small children at home, I would say drag them along. Teach them. <laughs> Teach them democracy. Teach them about democracy. Or find other friends who have small children at home and go in chips. I uh, get to vote by absentee ballot, and usually I mail it in, but I am walking mine into the poll tomorrow, and I was going to maybe wait till my kids get home from school and take them with me just to show them, hey, look, I believe in this. This is something that we should all be doing. I hope you enjoy this interview, and... If I haven't expressed enough the need to write reviews and leave stars for this podcast, I'm going to try it again. My friend just started her own podcast and like the first day she's already got like 30 reviews. <laughs> I was like, what do you, how do you do that? I actually had her on, Laura, the midwife. Um, she just started her podcast, Ask Midwife 707, and she is starting off with some really beautiful birth stories. So it's out now. You can check it out and I recommend it. And I also am asking for you to take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I did. I never realized how important that stuff was until I started, um, till I started doing this podcast until I put a novel out there and, you know, there's all these algorithms in place and 
if you don't have enough people interacting or rating your stuff, then it just gets kind of shoved further and further underneath the pile of everything that's out there. So if you appreciate this podcast, if you believe in this podcast like I do and and what I'm trying to do here with sharing these stories and sharing this information, then please, please, please take a moment to rate the podcast, review it on whatever app, you know, iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to it. And I think that's all. So thank you so much for being here. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now go vote tomorrow. So I uh, have the pleasure of speaking with Jamila Bashir today. She is a an educator and an IEP coach and an author, and she lives in Philadelphia. And she uh, has graciously agreed to come on and talk about her own story, her own experience. And also let me ask her some questions about IEPs and technical stuff. So uh, Jamila, if you would like yes. to go ahead and just introduce yourself and kind of your, um, you know, just describe your role in the community of education and special needs. Sure, absolutely. First, I want to thank you, Anne, for um, seeking me out and inviting me on your show. Um, I went on your website. I went on your Instagram, and I saw, you know, just everything that you're doing, and I think it's great and amazing work that you're doing. Um, thank you. I am, of course, I'm a special education teacher. Um, this is my 13th year um, teaching, and I've taught elementary and at secondary level, um, and I've taught... Um, learning support and I've done emotional support and I've had and within those different learning environments um, I have worked with children with autism children with specific learning uh, language impairments intellectually disabled children children with specific learning disabilities as well as um, children with OHI other health impairment which where um, ADHD falls under, ADD falls under, um, children with ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. So I've worked with an array of students. Um, and the reason I went into special education um, was because I have a personal connection with it. My little, I am, I have five sisters. I have four older sisters, one little sister. And my younger sister um, has an intellectual disability. So um I went into special education because of her, because I saw there was a need for um, special education educators, as well as special education educators of color, because I didn't see too many um, special, I didn't see too many teachers that looked like me, and let alone special education teachers. So mm -hmm. um, I went into that field of work, and as I learned in school, you know, I would pass the information on to my mom, you know, when she would go to meetings, I would tell her, you know, make sure you ask for this, make sure they talk about this. And I remember there was one time she refused to sign anything. She brought everything home with her <laughs> so that I could look over everything for her. Um, but yeah, I, um, so yes, I've been doing um, special education for this is my 13th year. Um, I went to a writer's workshop in 2017. So last year, like around the fall time. And um I went there and one of the um, the people leading the workshop was just saying how everybody has a story. And I was just thinking to myself, I don't have no story. I don't have a story that somebody wants to read. And, you know, we did an exercise where if you did write a book, what would you write about? And I like to 
make sure I do things that are meaningful to me, that I can really put my all into, and that it's purposeful. So um, when I was thinking of things to write about, I immediately thought of my little sister. I thought of special education because I'm very passionate about it. And I was like, well, let me write about growing up with a sibling with a disability because oftentimes you hear from parents, you hear from grandparents. Mm. You, you know, you hear perhaps their struggle or just the, how, the, how the changes they've had to make to accommodate their child, uh, maybe changes in their family and their life and everything. And you never really hear from the sibling and siblings are affected as well. And it's completely different than the way a parent is affected by their child, you know, having a disability because, you know, as siblings, you, you have a certain relationship you know, with your sibling, and then for your sibling to have a disability, it's like, it's, it, to me, it just felt like a whole different experience than perhaps what, an, what a parent is going through, so I decided to write about that, so, I'm, and I'm six years older than my little sister, so I was six years old when she was born, mm-hmm. so I write about that, I do, I wrote about, you know, just the struggles, you know, the frustration I felt, the embarrassment I felt, but then I also wrote about the impact she's had, she's had on me because I didn't, first I didn't want people to think, oh, this is a what was me book because it's not that. Like, yes, initially I did feel that, but, <clears throat> you know, as I grew and learned, I saw how this, you know, she was a blessing. First off, she's my sister. So, you know, all my sisters are blessings to me and they all affect me differently, you know, affect me differently in my life. But mm-hmm. she really had an impact on me and, you know, just making me, learn patience making me learn to see the good in everybody not that I don't it's just you know just by being around my sister she saw the good in everybody whereas I'm like we can't trust them no we can't do that (laughs) you know you know being her older sister and it's just you know she just taught me so many different lessons just about myself and to you know just live life and enjoy my life and I wrote about just you know that impact so I wrote it or I do write about the struggle but then I do write about how she's a blessing and how I'm grateful to have her in my life. And if it wasn't for her, I don't think I'll be in, I would be in the line of work that I am, you know, currently in. And I also write about just how she has grown as a person, how I, um, no, I can't just make plans for her. Whereas when I was younger, I would say, okay, Asia, we're going here, get yourself dressed. Come on. Whereas, you know, she's an adult now so I have to respect her as an adult and if you know if it's something she doesn't want to do I need to respect that and not just plan for her because yes at the same time I know she's going to always need assistance with certain things but I also have to respect that she's she's an adult and I need to treat her like an adult and Mm -hmm. speak to her like she's an adult even though I know she's not at the level of her age I still have to respect that in some aspects you know she is and she wants to be treated like one so I have to respect that Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the name of the book is called Because of Her. Yes. And and that's I was, such I, a beautiful name. I love it. Yes. I was, um, I remember going to my older, my other sister's house and I was like, I got to come up with a name. And I was trying to figure out, she said, what about my sister's keeper? But I was like, it's more than that. I just kept, and I just, you know, you know, you think out loud and I just yeah. kept talking and I was just like, well, it's like, I do all this because of her. She was like, that's it. I was like, what's it? She said, no, that, what you just said, just name it because of her. So then 
I looked up because of her and I saw that it was already a, ti a book title, a book already titled because of her. So one of my friends was like, why don't you make her an acronym? And I was like, oh, that is perfect. So I like brainstormed words that I felt described her, described my sister. So, and, and it was just, a, that title was just so fitting because it is because of her. It is because of her why I teach and why I've decided to start, you know, doing educational consultations to help parents and why I decided to do a nonprofit and why this, you know, it is because of her. So it, it, it was very fitting. I love the honesty of talking about how it is embarrassing sometimes and there are struggles at times. So I'm excited to to get this book and read it and, and give it to my daughter and Oh, awesome. So. Yes, because it, it, you know, some people, you know, because, you, you know, on the outside looking in, you have people, you might get stares or like my sister, like you can't look at her and tell she has a disability. Uh -huh. You know, like, like some, like some disabilities, like, like Down syndrome or something like you can look at a person and tell they have Down syndrome, whereas you can't look at someone to tell that they have an intellectual disability all the time. She's very social. So a lot of times people didn't know she had a disability until they may have asked her to do something and she couldn't do it or she needed help or something like that. Like some, like growing up, my mom, she didn't really shun her. Like she, she always included her in conversations and things like that. Cause she wanted her to be able to converse with people, you know, express herself. So she was never, you know, there are some adults who may shun their children from speaking when other people come around and things like that. Whereas my mom, she never did that at all. Um, and I tell people she got treated just like the rest of us, even though I felt my mom, <laughs> my mom was super lenient with her, <laughs> you know, with a lot of things, but you know, she had chores like the rest of it, it was chores that she could do you know uh -huh. you know so we did accommodate her like that but you know on the outside look and then you know people it, when they hear oh she has a disability you know it's like some of them automatically think you know oh she's stupid or she doesn't know she doesn't know how to do this or you know kind of they kind of uh, treat them like a victim kind of and I'm like no she's still a person treat her like you would treat anybody else but be understanding there are some limitations with her uh-huh did you did you step in for her a lot like as an interpreter and did you kind of since you were older um, did you kind of take on that role of like protector and oh my gosh like when I was younger yeah I it, to me I was like when you have a younger sibling like yes you have that protection of them but the fact that she had a disability as well I felt that I was very overprotective so I, I like I, I I tell people I felt like I was a beast because it was <laughs> like when people would come I'm just like what do you want like why are you over here with us like like what do you want like what's your purpose being over here you know and that's that's really how it was if I saw anybody laughing like I would immediately like tense up like just going out in public used to be hard for me when I was younger because I just felt like everybody was staring at us. I felt like people were pointing at us, even though they weren't. But I, that's what it felt like to me because I felt like I was on edge when we were out in public because I had to make sure nobody was bothering her. I felt like I had to make sure nobody was bothering her. I felt I had to make sure, you know, she was, she, you know, she's not really cognizant of her surroundings. So she, you know, it could be people making fun of her. She wouldn't even know they were making fun of her 
of her. You know, and right. there have been times when that has happened. And, you know, and I talk about an experience where that did happen and my reaction to it, you know, and how I was feeling and everything, you know, all the emotions I was feeling in that moment, you know. Um, but it, it was, I was very overprotective, whereas now it's like, you know, I will, like, if I see her, you know, out, like, we can be out and I'm just like, do you need my help? Are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. And then anytime we're out, I'm like, look, if you ever need me, scream as loud as you can, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> like, scream as loud as you can. I'm going to, you know, be right there. But, you know, cause she's older now, she knows how to do, she's capable of doing way more. So it's like, you know, giving her that space and allowing her to grow. And, you know, if she does meet me i always just reassure her if you ever need me just call me just let me know that you need me or let me know that you need help and she's like okay so yeah so one of the things that i really advocate for and um which is doing you know doing this podcast and stuff is just this you know what we can learn from telling our story whether we're writing it or telling it and how that can really help us work through some grief and some um you know, just some of the frustrations. And so coming out on the other side with perhaps this clarity and kind of a newfound hope. So did, did, uh, did that come out for you as you were writing this book or had you kind of already uh, worked through a lot of this stuff? Was there something new that came up for you writing this book? Um, Writing this book, it was, it was, it was just something that was on my mind for a while. And I was just very grateful that I actually completed it and I followed through with it. And the feedback I got from it, like I got feedback from, you know, people just like, oh my God, I love that story. Are you going to write some more? And I'm like, wow. And mind you, I hate writing and it's so, it's crazy. And I teach English, but I tell my students, I like helping you learn how to write, but I don't like writing myself. But it's like, oh, you want to hear more? And, I'm, and then I'm thinking, like, what else would I talk about? But at the same time, I know I took the time to make sure it was an honest story, mm-hmm. to make sure I put my emotions in it. So because I, and, and you know, with the help from my editor and the help from my sister, you know, <clears throat> to make sure my emotions were in it. Like, how are you feeling in this moment? How were you speaking in this moment? So that people can feel what you're saying, you know, um, I've gotten, a, you know, just a great response from it. Um, I've had people who have children with a disability, siblings, you know, come up to me and just, you know, say, oh my God, I got your book. I'm going to give it to my daughters to read, you know, because it's, um, um, I have a friend, one of his uh, daughters has a disability and one does it. So it's like, that's like me and my sister, you know, even though she doesn't have the same disability as my sister, but I was like, okay, yes, that. I was like, you know, talk, you know, I even talked with his daughters, you know, about it and everything and just getting it. And then like the book is also for, you know, just that sibling that may have had a lot of responsibility, you know, put on them to help out with a sibling. You know, I don't think parents understand sometimes mm-hmm. the responsibility and stress they put on other siblings to care for the younger ones, like even to put like on the older siblings to care for the younger siblings um I don't think sometimes parents realize okay I'm putting too much responsibility on the, on my child on my older child or I'm kind of I'm kind of stressing my kid out you know to make sure 
that we, you know, accommodate so-and-so or we look out for so-and-so, you know, and, and, and not give them the opportunity to express themselves about it or just give them the opportunity, you know, just to say, you know what, thank you for helping out with your brother or your sister or whatever. You kind of, you kind of feel like sometimes it's a burden sometimes because it's like, well, why do I always have to help? How come I'm always the one that has to do, you know, these types of things? But, um, it's been a, um, I've gotten great, um, response from the book, um, opportunities, you know, you reaching out to me. I've had, I did another interview yesterday, um, a woman, um, from New York. She has an agency, not an agency. She has a, um, a media group. They do like a magazine, they do television and it's for the youth. And, you know, she found me on uh, Facebook and then she couldn't, she, for some reason she couldn't send me a friend request, so she went looking for me on Instagram, you know? <laughs> so it's like, I was like, Oh, you know, so it really kind of prompted me to, well, you know what, you know, this is like my 13th year. Let me start you know, posting everything about special ed, you know, just things that I want to put out there, things that I want to share. So at first, it was just a page where people could connect with my book. If they wanted to get my book, you know, my website information was there. But then I had so many people asking me questions. And I was just like, well, let me start, let me just start sharing the answers to these questions. Uh -huh. And then, you know, I was like, oh, let me start sharing shows that um, discuss us or shows that have a character who has a disability so I started sharing that and then I'm like oh let me share some other things you know you know just things that people may not be aware of that help someone with a disability or can be of assistance to someone with a disability uh -huh. so and that's where my page grew my Instagram page and my Facebook page grew you know people come in there people um, sending me direct messages or Facebook messages or emailing me so it's been it's been a great response because special ed is my passion. It's uh, what I love and to that's what I what I'm really passionate about. What I love, and I put this hashtag all the time, staying in my lane. This is my lane, and this is what I know. <laughs> so why not share what I know with everyone else? Yeah, I I love it. Yeah, scrolling through your Instagram, I mean, you have so much information there, and your um, the Instagram. Instagram TV, the little videos that yeah, you do. I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> I didn't know either until I saw, you know how you can go to through your um your timeline and I looked, I said, what is IGTV? So I went on someone else's and I was like, oh, you could post videos. Like you can post a video that's like 10 minutes long wow. to your IGTV. And so I just started saving them there and I was just like, okay. Yeah, well, if anybody out there, um, I definitely recommend uh, finding you on Instagram. And uh, it's because of her, it's at because of her, because you do, you put so much information out there. And uh, so I wanted to get into the the IEP coaching that you do. And I love that. Sure. It sounds like this kind of came out of, the idea originally came out of helping your mom with your sister's IEP and the paperwork. And is that yeah. It came from there and then from my experience teaching in Philadelphia, just so many parents would ask me a question or I would, you know, when I run my meetings, I always tell parents, you know, please, if I go too fast, you know, tell me to slow down or stop me if you don't understand something. And when I would get done, you know, I had so many parents say, thank you so much for explaining this to me. No one ever explained this to me. I'm like, are you serious? They're like, yes, no one ever 
explain that the way you just did. You went through every single thing to make sure I understood. And I was just like, wow. So, and that happened to me a lot. And I was just like, dang. So then, you know, I'm helping my mom with things. And then I would have friends or people who knew that I did special, that was a special education educator, you know, would just be, you know, ask me questions. And I'm just like, I think I'm gonna, you know, I ran an idea across my lawyer friend. I'm like, uh, does this make sense to you? Like, what do you think about this? And he was just like, I think it's a great idea. I think it's great for you to do that. Like you have your credentials and you, you have the experience. So go ahead. So I um, started doing that. Um, you know, it's still freshly new for me, you know, doing IP coaching. I'm actually in the process of finalizing an online course that I created focusing on the IP so that way you will know how to interpret the IP you will know how, how to track progress on your kids IP you will understand the whole process and you will understand transition you know just basic things to help you understand the IP so that way when you go to IP meetings you feel more equipped and more prepared so I'm actually in the process of finishing up the content for that so that to, to put out, you know, to the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's so needed. I mean, it really is. Once you start getting in the midst of all the, the I mean, I have my daughter's IEP coming up soon. And, uh, you know, I remember the first couple of meetings, I was just kind of like, what? I have, I have no idea what any of this stuff is. What is <laughs> happening? I don't, you know, and I'm just like. Right, and it's there. like. <laughs> Right. And then you hear all these terms, you're like, well, what does that mean? And, and then like, you know, some parents don't understand the timeline, you know, there's a time frame where, you know, your IEP gets done from the time you get a permission to evaluate and how much time you have to get the evaluation done. And then from there, how much time you have to get the IP done. And I don't think, and then also I really want to let parents know, you know, this is your team. Anybody that educates your child is on the team. So utilize your team. If you have a question, email them. Mm-hmm. They'll get back to you. And that's the best way to communicate with teachers or anybody in the educational setting. Email them because they can't always stop to call or return a phone call to you unless it's something you know um, important. But like email. Send them an email. And also that's a way of documentation for you that you did contact them and you know, the time that you contacted them as well, but like utilize that, understand your child's case manager is like your key person to anybody else that supports your child. So if your child has speech or your child gets occupational therapy or physical therapy, anything like that, you, your best bet is to email the, your child's case manager um, because your child's case manager can tell you how often they see the OT or the PT, when they see them, how long they see them, or if you want to get in contact with them yourself, they can get that email for you or get that phone number for you and give it to you. So that way you can contact, you know, those related service providers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's truly, it truly takes a village to educate a child. It does. And it's like, <laughs> like, like, like parents utilize your team you we are all working together to support and educate your child and we have to work like that and 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 it truly becomes like i tell people i was telling my aide to um a few weeks ago i said being a teacher especially a special education teacher it is like you have 
well, for me on my case, so I have about nine. I said, I feel like I have nine children and I have to know where everybody's doing. I have to know where everyone is. I have to know when everyone uh, gets their latest services. I have to know, I have to pull everybody in in the morning, make sure they have what they need. And I got to make sure I pull them in at the end of the day to make sure they have everything they need to go home. Because if anything happens or anything occurs, you just can't, everybody is going to contact me. My uh-huh. colleagues are going to contact me. Parents are going to contact me. So it's like, I have to keep up with emails. I have to keep up with the paperwork. I have to teach. And I, it's like, I, I said, that's truly what it feels like. I feel like I have nine children that I have to be. And she laughed at me when I, she, but she said, you know, that's a nice, she said, it's like a cute way to put it. But I said, it's true. It really is. And that's what it feels like because I have to know everybody's schedule. I have to know when you're going to, like, I do emotional support. So I have to remember when we have group therapy, I have some kids, some students who are gifted. So I have to remind them when they have to go to AT, when they go to gifted support, remind them when they go. I have students that get academic support. I got to remind them that they have that. So it's like, it feels like you have nine children. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. So what are some of the, what are some of the bigger challenges that that people come across when they're doing their IEPs? Like, are there kind of recurring things that that parents stumble over or uh, or have a hard um, time? The big thing was just um, for parents, especially if your child is newly identified, like this is the first IEP. Um, just parents not understanding the document. Like, okay, I think I think case managers or even psychologists could just explain it, especially for the very first IP, just explain what this document is, what this said, when you sign this, what does that mean when you sign this? When you, you know, what do these different sections mean? You know, Um, and then also showing parents how to track their kids' progress, because I think that's the biggest thing. Is my child making progress? Is my child getting better? You know, is my Uh child improving? Um, And also, at the meeting, really getting an update across everything. So if your child gets, you know, if they're getting, of course they have, you know, their goals. So if the goals are academic goals, get the updates on that. If your child has um, speech, getting updates where they are with the speech, you know, just getting updates with everything, where they are. Um, Are there any areas of concern? Are they meeting their goals? How do I track that? Um, I think that's the biggest thing I run into some parents are like well how come he's still this or how come like I have some parents say well how come he's he's doing so well in school but he can't do well on his tests and sometimes I have to tell parents like some kids are terrible test takers you know um I was a terrible test taker and I said and then also parent for parents to understand that it's going to take time for their child to independently utilize the strategies that they have learned it's like as teachers I can tell you okay use this this will help you do xyz and you'll do it because I'm telling you but if I'm not around will you use it you know when you're doing work on your own are you going to use it and and I have to tell parents sometimes it takes a while for students to independently utilize their strategies without being told to do it Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I always, comp- um, 
use myself as an example. You know, I always tell people I used to struggle with writing. And I said, one day it just clicked for me. I'm like, oh, this is what my teacher meant when she was telling me to use transitions. Oh, this is what she means by this. It just clicked one day. And I said, it just happens. I said, you know, uh, it just happens with kids. Like every kid is different and it's going to take time. And I said, we just have to continue to support your child with their areas of need. And for me, my, um, the thing that it's difficult for me is I track a lot of behavior. So some of my students, if they, if they were in a bad mood at home, they come to school in a bad mood. So that really sets their day. Um, if they're in a good mood at home, you know, they'll end up being in a good mood, you know, at school. And I don't control anything that goes on at home. So it's like when they come in with that, you know, it could take me 15 minutes to get to calm a student down or to get the student talking anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. And sometimes yeah. I'm like, you know, I don't have a full hour, right. you know, I don't have that time, but it's like, I don't want to leave this student feeling a certain way. So I'll always tell students, like if, if it's ever a moment where I can't, you know, give that whole time because, you know, they're still, they're slowly coming down for whatever, frustration they were feeling you know I, I always let them know I said I'm I'm not forgetting about you at all I have to go do this but I'll be right back you know just to let them know I'm not blowing them off mm -hmm. that I am coming right back because you know I've had students who um you know it took an hour it might have took a half an hour for them to calm down because they we have that relationship that they knew that they know they can come talk to me so they don't want to talk to their teacher at the moment they want to come talk to the case manager where I have sometimes I have students who just when I come in my room they'll sit down they just need to chill out and then they'll go back to class and then I have some students who they want to talk through it and sometimes I'm like I can't talk through it right now because I'm in the middle of class you know so that's like a struggle for me so I try to teach them other adults that they can go to, you know, their guidance counselor and things like that. Like we're all working together to help you. So if you ever see me and I may be teaching, you can go see Mr. So-and-so, you can go see Miss So-and-so, you mm -hmm. know, you know, just try to teach them to utilize the supports that are available to them. So they know where to go and what they, you know, what they can do. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, uh... Do you have, or have you worked with parents in the past that are just really difficult, that are um, maybe kind of hindrances to their children's progress? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I have. And I'll say that is the saddest part of the job, of mm -hmm. my um, field. Um, you know, I had a parent who I truly felt that he knew his child would go further than him in life and he would get in the way of his son's education like tell him oh you don't need this oh you, you don't need to learn that that's not important wow you don't you don't need school it, it's fine i turned out fine and, you know it, it was it was stuff like and he has so much potential you know you know i had a parent where her child was progressing Saying, you know, but she would just be so adamant if we would try to reduce some of the support or recommend reducing some of the support because he was progressing and he was improving. And 
later on when, when she talked to us, she had to fight to get the IEP for her son. So she felt like we were taking it from her. And I was like, well, no, the whole goal is for your son to improve to the point he no longer needs this, you know? And I had explained right. this IEP is not for the rest of his life and it's not meant to be for the rest of his life. You know, if he is progressing in certain areas, let's reduce the support there because he doesn't need as much as he did before. But she fought us and fought us. And I went to my principal, I said, I'm not gonna fight the mom. She knows her son better than I do. And I said, I'm not going to fight her on anything. I said, if she wants to put him in another placement that I feel will not push him to thrive to his fullest potential, I said, then that's what we're going to do. I said, I can't fight. You know, I don't want to fight this mom. I, can, I cannot fight this mom. Uh -huh. You know, so those are, you know, some examples of some of the, you know, difficulties, you know, that comes along with the with my my job as well you know some parents it's hard for them to see their child's progress um some parents are afraid that they're going to lose the IEP. well my child's getting better he's going to lose all this support and but it's, it's not like that easy where he you know he's going to lose it or she's going to lose it um but that's how some parents feel and then there are some parents who just are non-existent Mm -hmm. at all like when it's time to do an IP or you have questions there they are nowhere to be found and it's like okay I need help here you know I need to share some information with you but you're not there to you know work with me as a team to help you know support your child so there are moments like that um, or there are moments where a parent is um a parent feels that when I say we, I'm talking about, you know, teachers and special education educators, they feel that we work for them. And so we get parents that may talk to us as if we work for them. Oh God. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we, I've dealt with that as well. And, <laughs> and that is like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like, no, I do not work for you. Um, but they feel that we do so we get a whole how they speak to us or how they um want to tell us what to do and things like that and it's like and we have to have meetings like um okay i am this i am your child's case manager you know how you know respectfully we have to deal with that and deal with that in a respectful manner like um you know i am his teacher this is what I, this is my role. This is what I do, you know, but my job is not like, I'm not just solely for you uh -huh. and I don't work for you. I'm here to educate your child. We're here to work together to support your child. So yeah, being a, being a special education educator and just an educator period, you get all of that. You get like a whole round, you get all of that. You get parents who are involved and who are you know who are very open to working as a team you get parents who aren't open to working as a team you get parents who um again they had to fight to get an IEP for their child so they are very defensive and reluctant if you know they feel that you are taking support away from their child you know because they don't understand that this IEP is not for the rest of their lives you know, and then you get some parents who think they work for you, that you work for them. So you get a little bit of everything. 
yeah <laughs> and you have to learn how to you know ad- adapt to all the different scenarios and different relationships and yes you do keeps you on your toes <laughs> <laughs> yes it does well so i had a question about some of the some of the things you have a lot of uh like terminology like on your instagram mm-hmm. page like the uh the lrv the least restrictive environment and the co-teaching and things like that and i'm wondering do you put that stuff out there are, are those terms that parents should know like should we be educating ourselves about this stuff or is, do you put that out there more for like educators like where does that oh uh, well i put um lre out there because you, parents do need to know what lre is and it stands for a least restrictive environment so when a child is found to need an iep um the first thing you do is to see okay well what does the child need and can can it be done in their classroom because ultimately you don't want to pull the kid out of their classroom with their non-disabled peers so um a least restrictive environment could be their general education classroom like and i gave an example of um, a kid who may need occupational therapy that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be pulled out of the classroom. It really depends on their needs because the occupational therapist could be there to help with the handwriting and that could be done in their classroom. They wouldn't have to leave. So you don't want to, the goal is to not pull the kid out of their, out of their learning environment with their non-disabled pairs, but it really depends on the needs of your kid, where, like what their least restrictive environment would look like. So I did put that out there so that way parents know what, least restrictive environment is and i found a great um visual of it on um i did a google search and i posted it to my instagram as well it gave a nice um depiction of least restrictive environment like starting at the top that's the general education classroom you know with their peers uh-huh. and then yeah. um co-teaching and they went from co-teaching they went to resource and it went from resource and, like it just goes down and down and down so ultimately you want to be at the top in your general education classroom. Um, so that was a great um, visual that I found and I shared that because I felt that that would help parents see what I was talking about. Um, so yes, and with co-teaching, that's an inclusive, um, an inclusion, inclusion, inclusive teaching model. So I actually co-teach now. So that's where you have two teachers teaching. Um, you have a special education education um, educator and a general education educator teaching together and there's various ways you can do instruction like that and also with that you you know schools have to make sure that these teachers have common planning time that they have um, the materials that they need um, you know so that way and also that the teachers mesh well together uh-huh. because um, you know I've seen situations where the teachers did not mesh well together and the students picked up on it like they knew well this teacher enforces the rules and this teacher doesn't mm. and they could t- the students picked up on that so fast I bet. It, was, it, it, it was just disastrous so that's why like i say you know principals should take the time to see who wants to co-teach and who will actually work well co-teaching because that that makes it to, makes it more effective and it's nice to plan with someone else because you have someone to bounce ideas off of students have two teachers that they can go to for help um and there's 
there's different um, models of instruction. You can have one teaching, one assisting students. You can have simultaneously teaching where, you know, one, you know, they're going in and out of the instruction together. You can do mm -hmm. station teaching where one teacher is at one station and another teacher is at another station and then other students are doing like independent work where everyone can rotate through the different stations so that way the teachers get to work with all the students in a day. Um, so it's, um, it's very beneficial and I do like it. However, you know, you have to take the time to research how it can effectively be implemented in your school um, and making sure you get teachers who, who, you know, who are cohesive and who can work well together. Um, so yeah, I put that out. A lot of the information I put out is for parents so that parents or anybody who um, is interested in a special ed or, you know, they have a child and with an IEP and a certain terminology. So I, you know, I put that out there to educate um, parents and just anyone in general. Um, because it's like, I don't, because sometimes like if you don't speak up to say that you don't know that acronym and what it means, you know, educators, we use it so much, we just say it and we assume right. you may know it already. So it's like, we may not take the time to explain it. So yeah. Uh -huh. So I have a couple more questions. Uh, I'm sure. gonna, um, the, the question that was sent to me, um, I'll read this to you. This is her question. Her name's Amanda. And she said, I work so hard to prepare for my IEP and I have good questions to ask. And I notice that there's sort of a gaze that occurs in the room when I ask a real question. And I often don't get a direct answer or I will hear about how that's not exactly how things work here. Um, like when I try to have a goal that is different from what they had in mind or is a little bit more specific and direct and result oriented. I'm wondering, how do I inspire my entire IEP team to enjoy creating a wonderful program for my child? Oh, wow, that's a great question. And it's very interesting that she's getting pushback, you know, from it. Uh -huh. Because like when I do, I, I, again, before I do an IP, if I, if I know a student's IP is coming up, of course I get updated levels. Um, and because I have seventh grade, I also have to, if, if my student is turning 14, I also have to start their transition plan. So I always present my data to the parents and let them know that this is a draft and none of this is set in stone and it is a draft. And I go through all the goals, but I also ask the parent, and but often, you know, I always call the parent beforehand and say, you know, is there anything that you want your child to work on? Is there something else? Because it could align with what is being done at school. So that's very interesting. I would tell that parent to schedule a meeting, probably with the case manager or depending on the goal she's looking for. If it's something, if, if it goes along with a related service her child receives, but scheduling uh, like, a, like, a, like a planning meeting with them so that way she can share with them why she wants this goal. Like, how can we do this? Because if it, it, it's beneficial for her child, you know, it's why not put it in? Um, the only pushback I can see from teachers giving the pushback if it's something that they cannot progress monitor if it's something that a school can't progress monitor i can i can understand the pushback for the iep because the iep is for something for school something that can be monitored at school um so if it's something that 
they could not monitor progress monitor i can you know i i wouldn't put in the ip either because i'm like well how can we progress monitor this but mm -hmm. if it's something that could be beneficial for the school and could, I mean, not beneficial for the school but beneficial for the student i think perhaps she should meet with them not in an iep meeting but like a planning meeting to mm -hmm. for her to share why she wants this and for them to brainstorm how can they incorporate that in the IEP because that's the only the only thing I can think of is why they would push back is if it's something that they cannot progress monitor because any goal you put in an IEP has to be monitored by that progress monitored by that case manager so if the mm -hmm. child has a, um, a reading comprehension goal the case manager has to progress that so basically doing comprehension probes with that student, you utilizing the tests and quizzes that they get for reading comprehension on their level, whatever level the goal is for. So if they can't progress monitor that, then it's like, what's the point of putting it in an IP? I can't, I have, I can't back it up. I can't show that the student is either progressing or regressing. Mm -hmm. Because every, like I said, every goal, you have to be able to progress monitor it have data on it to show the improvement or show the regression. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would highly recommend probably planning with the um, with this team, you know, what it is. Cause I wish she would have shared with you what she wanted in the IEP, cause that could also help. Uh-huh, okay. You know, you may give just, uh, I guess, more specific advice for her. Cause that's the only way, that's the only pushback I could see. Oh, yeah. why well that makes sense yeah if it's if they can't monitor the progress um then, yeah yeah but yeah but i know there are some you know sometimes schools can be in, oh we don't do that here but it's like um <laughs> well because that's just like if i know my students need something and i strongly feel that they need it you know i go to my supervisor about it and sometimes i do feel like i may be putting up a fight with my supervisor but it's like i but i always give her data why we need it why does student need it? i don't just come out i don't just say oh we need to give so-and-so uh, a keyboard to communicate you know i have i always back it up with this is why this is the data uh-huh you know so that way she can, so that way she has something something you know to look at to see oh, okay i see why you're um pushing for this so yeah okay well thank you for answering that no problem um, so yeah i so I have kind of maybe a bigger question, maybe a little more political than what we were um, planning, <laughs> but uh, it just it's fine. Of, okay, because it it feels important. I mean, just the um, you know the political climate, the state of affairs that we're in now, and I, I don't get too political on this podcast, but but I'm just wondering, looking at you know obstacles to services, does the education system provide services evenly across the board, whoever needs it? Or are there obstacles for people of color or for people of low income? Um, I feel I feel like yes, because I've taught in an urban school district in Philadelphia, and then I've also taught in the suburbs, um, counties outside of Philadelphia. And you can see the how this the suburban district, the way they're able to provide services versus in an urban district like it's a disproportionate amount of funds i'm like clearly you're not getting the same amount of money uh -huh. you know 
to implement these programs because you know when I taught in Philly it was um a lot I had to do and um like my last three years that I taught in Philly um I did a social skills group with a group of boys because they needed social skills but they didn't need like autistic support they just needed you know like a socialization class and but there was no behavior specialist to do it so I had to do it uh-huh. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, when I left there and went into the suburbs and, the, and my students, they get group therapy or if they need it, you know, or they can get individual counseling if they need it. And I'm just like, oh my God, I wish my boys <laughs> I had could receive this. You know what I mean? Because it would have definitely, they would have definitely benefited from it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because like, yes, I'm a special education educator. And yes, I'm their case manager. But when I was told I had to do that, you know, with the group of boys I had, I didn't feel confident because I'm like, I don't, I'm not a behavior specialist. You know, I don't, you know, that's not my expertise right there, but I had to do it. Whereas mm-hmm. in the suburban district, it's like, oh, the behavior specialist does this. And they do that. And I'm like, I don't have to do that. Oh my God, they get group, they get that. It's like, oh, and I've seen students that have had, um, there's a lot of um, instructional assistance. Whereas in, when I was in Philly, I'll say the younger grades had them. Like I'll say primary grades, like K through two, or maybe even K through three. Like there were, I never saw an instructional assistant beyond that grade. So hmm. it is to me, I feel like it depends where you live. Uh-huh. I truly feel that. And then, you know, being in an urban district versus a suburban district, there, you know, there isn't, there's not even playing field there as far as services being provided and, you know, staff. And then a lot of times in an urban district, you don't have enough staff to do what needs to be done for these students. Because then again, they say, oh, the budget, we don't have the money and all this. But it's like, but these kids need it. Yeah, it's like the funding. It's like, isn't there? Because like, I can't remember even when I was in school, when I was younger, you know, a social worker was in my school, had a full-time nurse. I, I can remember all these different people, you know, in my school. Whereas now, especially in the urban day, there's no social worker there some schools have to share a nurse Mm -hmm. you know because there's a shortage you know um I remember um this the last school I was at in Philly we went from eight to seven to five special ed teachers but we still had the same population special education population which which was huge but our number of staff decreased and that even was overwhelming for us because it's like, well, how we need the seven. We we really needed the we really needed the eight. Uh-huh. And it's like when I talk to you, when I when you say you're being stretched thin, like I experienced that stretched thin providing services for students. So so what what do we do about what can people do to change it? People can contact their local um, politician because this is how, you know, voting, this, uh-huh. this uh, midterm primary, like really 
This yeah. is where we really can put into office people who will support, you know, public education and support, give us the support that we need. Because if mm -hmm. we get people in there that don't really care or only care about a certain group, right. you know, we're going to be the ones to pay for it, you know? So you really have to include them. So that way, actually, you know, you really have to include them so that they know, so that they are aware of what's going on in their district. So they know what to push for. They know what to fight for. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, that's like the biggest thing that um, we all can do. Yeah. Yeah, get out and vote. Do it. Yes, get out and vote. <laughs> and then, you know, the hard part is, is just finding agencies outside of school, you know, to supplement what you're getting in school, you know. So just finding those agencies too and um and I know in the county uh, we have the intermediate unit so um, each county has one so like that helps a lot but really the like for Philadelphia's is different from Montgomery counties and it's different from the Delaware County intermediate unit it's like I didn't even know I'm like Philadelphia has an intermediate unit and it's like well where is it like I don't you know because like Delaware County Intermediate Unit and Montgomery County Intermediate Unit, like I can go on their website and see, um, you know, what like classes they're offering, services that, that are being provided to, you know, the community people that live in that county and all that. Whereas Philadelphia, it's like, okay, I see Ellen, I see, you know, some things, but it's like, what else? So it's like, okay, these outside counties, there aren't a major city, you know, it's like, okay, they have more services than we do. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you know, um, even going to your guidance counselor for help because the guidance counselor is aware of some outside agencies that can help you help parents. So I tell parents to also utilize their guidance counselors because they can connect them with some outside agencies to do. So, the, you know, those are just some small things, but one of the big things to do is you know, let your politicians know, like, to make sure we can get the funding, like, that our, you know, districts get the funding that they need, mm -hmm. so that we can provide the services for our children. That's, I think that's great to end on, and now I'm like, can I get this out before uh, next Tuesday? <laughs> I just might come out a day early. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, is there anything that you would like to say uh, before we sign off? Um, I would just say to parents, continue to advocate for your children and don't be afraid to ask for help. Ask your case manager for help. Um, ask the school for help. Like, don't be afraid. And if you do, if you find yourself stuck, feel free to send me an email at Jamila, J-A-M-I-L-A-H at becauseofher.info. You can find me on Instagram at because of her and that is B-E-C-A-U-S-E-H period E period R and the same on my um, Facebook because of her feel free to DM me Facebook me a message email me you can go to my website get in contact with me through my website at www.becauseofher.info so yes all that all right and check out your book Yes, there, you can go right online to get my book. Go right on to my website. Again, www.becauseofher.info. You can get it. You can also get it on Amazon. All right. 
Uh, well, Jamila, this has been amazing and so informative and lovely to speak with you and hear your story. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Really and thank excited. you so much, Anne, for this opportunity. I greatly appreciate it.